0: Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to focus on verses 24 through 26 today. Let's open in prayer, Father. We're thankful for what you have done, sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. We thank you for your living word. And we look to you, to your Holy Spirit to illuminate and teach and instruct us in the way to go. So this morning we commit our lives, our ways, to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read our text together. Verse 24 says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, and having been held captive by him to do his will. Well, God's people aren't merely just servants. We're servants of the the living God, the, the true and living God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our kinsman redeemer, Emmanuel god almighty it's so amazing because this word for servant bond servant when you stop and think about it, it it's dulos. it was a slave it was one who gave his life over because his master was so good he got out of debt and he was could go free but he says no i'll stay with my master he's good to me i'll deny myself knowing that he has no rights at all, no time to himself. But his only thing that he is to do is serve. And that's what we do. We come to him to, to serve him. It's not come to have comfort or come to be rich. Certainly, Ephesians makes it clear we're rich in heavenly places. But here we're his bondservant, his His slave. And when we think about it, what a wonderful, incredible privilege that we can serve the king of kings. The one who laid down his life for you and for me. Now, Paul focuses on that servant, the the character qualities of that servant. The servant, again, is called a bondservant, the doulos, as I mentioned. And Paul, writing in 2 Corinthians 4-5, says this, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ, Jesus, our Lord, and ourselves as bondservants of Jesus for his sake. Now, the Roman world, again, that time of Christ, again, a slave, a servant, he had no name, he had no rights, he had no will. He had no time of his own. But what was interesting about it, that bond slave was often the right-hand man. And if you think about that for a moment, you are God's right hand, and I am God's right hand. And you say, "How, how could we all be his right hand? But the, right, the idea of the right hand, you're the right person for such time as this in this circumstance, and another one in this circumstance, and another one in this circumstance. And we, as we go out in this world, we're representing him, serving him, leading people into all truth and light. We are shining the light of Jesus. We're telling him about the wonderful grace that is in him and the hope of eternal life that we know for sure. This is the most wonderful thing that's ever happened to us when we stop and think about it. Jesus Christ became the God-man, lived a life beaten for you and me, hated, but he gave his life for you and me that we might have life eternal. But why God do this? Because God loves you. You. And he lavishes you with his love. As you begin to look at how he's working in your life, you begin to look with anticipation and expectation. God wants to do something today in your life and tomorrow he wants to do something. And you're his right hand. You're his man in that place. And I'm his man in that place. And what an incredible thought that God would choose a man like you and me. And see, as a slave, when we were in bondage, we know how we got there. It's it's no big thing. We've counted the cost. And that's what Luke says in Luke 14, 28. For which one of you, when he he wants to build a tower, does not again sit down and calculate the cost, has enough to complete it. See, we know that when we come to Christ, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us our life. But the, the life. If you lose your life for him, you will gain a life. But if you try to keep your life in this world, you will lose it eternally. But for us, we know the best is yet to come. And we long for that. And Jesus gave that example himself. He, he was, again, the second person that God had. He was in heaven with the Father. But notice what Philippians says. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. See, Jesus, who is God, became man, the God-man. He laid aside his deity to live as a man, to live the sinless life of a man. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He shows us how we can live through this life and we follow in his footsteps and he will work in us and he will change us. Now seeing that all believers, Jews as well as Gentiles are servants of God, no one can pass judgment on another. In fact, the scripture is very clear that We're not to judge another man's servant. You're God's servant, I'm God's servant. Well, the idea is in condemnation, we don't do that. Now, we may encourage, we may come alongside and fan the flame and build them up. But we're not to condemn one another. In fact, what he says in verse 24, look with me, because we see that irrational approach there, And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome but kind to all, able to teach, and patient when wrong. So it's, it's important to God, and the character is that we're to treat people very, very special, not to quarrel with them, not to fight with them. You know, sometimes people want to fight. They want to argue with you. And, and if, as long as it is up to you, pursue peace, if all possible. But you know some people will not seek peace. They seek strife. But for you and me, we're not going to be quarrelsome. We're not going to fight. We're not going to quarrel, dispute, or wrangle over words. We draw the line say, hey, let's let's stop here. We're going to turn away. We're not going to get sucked in. Strife is, is another word that's used referring to bickering and arguing and a heated disagreement. An anger, an undercurrent. And, and sometimes it, if people just want to be angry, you have to let them be angry. You say, draw a line. Hey, when you calm down, let's talk. Not get caught up because the world's watching you in me. And strife is so dangerous. It's so destructive. It's deadly. It's contagious. It, it spreads so rapidly unless it's confronted and stopped. See, strife destroys marriages and friendships, businesses and churches and yet this is what satan uses to thwart the will of god strife and or contention is often the, really the results of pride arrogance and must be avoided at all cost in fact paul writing in second 2 timothy 2:23 2 notice what it says but refuse foolish ignorant speculations knowing that they produce quarrels you know sometimes it angers people but i say we need to stop here we're both getting excited it's not bringing glory to god and some people still want to fight and i just say we stop and i don't say any more and then there's a way that we begin to deal with people we begin to heap coals upon their head we begin to bless them now, it's important to understand that, again, Solomon wrote in Proverbs ten nineteen, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Sometimes people will just continue with the words on and on and on, but that should not be of you and me. That we bite that upper lip. We hold back. We let them continue and carry, and we, we just know that something's wrong we don't always understand what's going but we don't get drawn into something we can't put an end to when paul says that the a, a slave of the lord must not be you know battling he refers to the slave who that is who follows the lord see a lot of people call themselves christians but they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're deceiving themselves. Oh, they can come to church on a Sunday or Wednesday night. They, they can say the right words. They've been baptized. They've given money. But they're not a, a slave of the Lord. They're not a servant of the Lord. They're not following the Lord. The well, Scripture talks about they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They think it's good to come. But they don't realize that they don't know Jesus Christ. They're headed to hell without a relationship with him. Well, again, when people want to argue, when they want to get angry, we're not going to wrangle over words. We're not going to shout. We're not going to make a scene. We're going to learn to turn the other cheek. We're going to learn to walk away quietly, say, hey, let's talk about this tomorrow. And that's very important as ambassadors of Christ, his representatives. Because if we go down that path, there's no longer the light shining. There's no longer salt that's going to affect the people. In fact, in verse 24, it talked about that we must be kind to one another kind could, is interchangeable with the word gentle Vines defines again that word kind as fair moderate, forbearing not insisting on the letter of the law it expresses that, that uh, consideredness that looks humanly and reasonably at the, at the facts of the case someone who's defined it as, as really grace and action and that's what people should see in our life is, is just this grace. When people are being mean and nasty and anger, uh, maybe two-faced, we're just always gracious. We're always kind, praying that they would come to their senses. This is the way that, that Paul lived his life. In fact, in First Thessalonians 2.7, he describes it, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for our own children. And that's how we need to be like Paul. Caring, loving, nurturing that that love and tenderness that only a mother can have for an own child. That's how we're to treat one another. This is how God deals with us. When we've thrown our temper tantrums, when we haven't got our way, when somebody's wounded us or pride or they haven't done it the way we think. What an honorable thing to, to hold back and not say anything and, and just pray about it. Let God change our hearts. Let God work in them if there's something that needs to be done in them. See, words can, cannot even express the love and care that God has for his children. In fact, let me read from Matthew 12, verses 18 through 20, which is really a quote of Isaiah 42, 1 through 4 notice again and again in verse 18 it begins behold my servant whom i've chosen my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased i will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the gentiles he will not quarrel not cry out nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets a battered reed he will not break off a smoldering wick he will not put out until it leads justice to victory the bruised reed the smoking flax represent people whose lives are they're bruised they're they're broken they're they're used up or they're they're hurting and they're hurting others they're struggling he's saying i'm not going to snuff it i'm not going to put it out i'm not going to crush it and that should be true of you and me Such people are often considered useless. And what a shame when people look at, and that's you and I, but for the grace of God. And yet, people begin to have such a high opinion of themselves and they begin to to go around crushing and destroying people. See, in the hands of the Savior, the bruised reed is not thrown away but restored, and the smoking flax is is not put out, but it's rekindled, and and that's what we do, is we fan that flame, we restore, we lift up those people. They have to want to. And even another week, if they're making that move, we do everything we can to help them, to grow, to, to reach out to Jesus, to support them in that walk. In verse 24, it says we're, have to be apt to teach, and this is why it's often referred to pastors, but the fact is, every one of us are teachers in some capacity. We're to go and make disciples. The word apt comes meaning being able to teach. It carries the idea of being skilled at teaching. It means that every one of us are prepare ourselves to teach God's word, to, to apply it to a life. That when someone's struggling that we sit down with them, we explain the, the scripture so they can draw from it, they can apply it to their life. There are those who can argue about a, their hobby horse, but it's another matter to be able to teach the whole counsel of God's word. No matter what a person's going through, that God brings to your mind that that scripture and shows you how to use it. And then you begin just fanning that flame in them and bringing them back, sharing the love and the grace and the mercy of of Christ Jesus. And it's important that we don't be in this one hobby horse making this point or that point. The the, the goal is to be well-rounded, balanced, that no matter what those circumstances are, this cost us time we take the word we hide in our but as we say it cost us time we're refreshed we're washed we're encouraged and built up God's changing you and God's changing me I love what it says in 1 Peter three fifteen and 16 I'm going to read from the ERV the easy reader version it says this, but keep the Lord Christ holy in your hearts, always being ready to answer everyone who asks you to explain about the hope that you have. But answer them in a gentle way, with respect. Keep your conscience clear. Then the people will see the good way you live as the followers of Christ. And those who say bad things about you will be ashamed what they say and the focus here is the character you know that character the way that we present it and we live it it makes such a difference the fact is whether you're a pastor you're just an individual you're going to be wounded you're going to be wronged in this life in fact that's our next point in verse 24 that we must be patient when wronged and that's so important There's an old maxim. It says, patience is a virtue which all admire but few attain. Hmm. The Lord, lavish us with your wonderful grace that all may see your perfect patience in us and you will be glorified. We stop. We pray. We pause. We're reminded how much we need him. How many times a day do, do we need to pause? And there's a lot of times a day I need to pause. I need to just be refreshed again. This is probably the, the toughest requirement in this list when you think about it. Being patient, it means to, to forbear. It, it, it carries the idea of bearing up under, enduring evil without retaliation. Expresses restraint, patience, endurance of mistreatment. Our flesh often seeks revenge. When you're hurt, you want to lash out. But the spirit-filled Christian, he's different. He his, his produces this sweetness of patience in his life. See, it's, it's really the fruit of the spirit. That's what Galatians 5.22 and 23 talk about. Let me show you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control against all these things. There is no law. Now, I I know there's different views, but let me share something with you. It says the fruit of the Spirit, singular, is, is love. See, when you've been filled up with the love of God, when you come to know that love of Jesus Christ, There's a joy in your life that never can be robbed. There's a peace. There's patience because you know you're you're God's workmanship. You know that God is coming again and he teaches you this patience. It flows out of this love because you love the people around you. You love those that hurt you. You know they're going through something. You want the best for them. You learn to be kind to them and good to them because that's exactly what God's doing. And if the Spirit of God is in your heart, you're filled with love. It's a natural thing. It's nothing you work up today, I'm going to be kind, I'm going to be kind, I'm going to be. No. You just let God live through you. You let that love flow through you. You're just a a conduit for Him. Well, it's important. That he has the right attitude. Look with me in verse 25 because it says, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. Gentle or gentleness appears about 20 times in the English translations of the Bible. In fact, in Proverbs 15, 1, it says this, a gentle answer turns away wrath. But harsh words stirs up anger. See, the character is very important. How you are acting, what is your attitude? If a person's nasty and mean, are you going to retaliate back? Are you going to be kind? Just as the scripture says, "A, a gentle answer turns away wrath. When someone's continually kind to you and you're angry, it, it just desensitizes you. Or, or you just have to turn and go away. And I've seen people do that again and again. And they don't realize they look like a fool, yelling and screaming and, and carrying on. How sad. It's interesting, though, this word gentleness is translated as Meekness. Meekness is, is never considered a, a weakness or even a lack of power. No, it's rather power under control. It's really the word from which we get meekness is used in the Bible uh, many times to refer to a, a wild horse that's being tamed. A horse has tremendous power, but once it's broken, it's under the, under the control of the The rider able to turn in every direction at the will of the master. Many servants need to be broken. In fact, God values brokenness. The person who comes to the Lord, really, who is born again, is one who has a, a broken and contrite heart, recognizes their sinfulness, and recognizes their need of him. And that's something we should carry all through our life is that broken and contrite heart. See, we don't need self-esteem. Our esteem is Christ-esteem. Our identity is in, in Christ. We know again, apart from him, we can do nothing of any value. Well, the traits of a highly sensitive person is, is the one that's most difficult to deal with. They, they become overwhelmed when they have a lot to do they find noisy environments chaotic or they get angry easily they choke when they're under observation they deeply are moved by arse or emotional in that sense they recognize other people's discomfort and and they, oftentimes they can identify with them they retreat when things just become too overwhelming Even the kindest response may not seem kind to them. And yet, we need to be kind, caring, prayerful, and patient. Being a kind person means that at times we need to recognize that people are just different. It's okay. And we need to learn to meet them really where they're at. Well, the servant, again, he needs to be ready to answer. See, Paul uses the word correcting. The word for correcting here is found eight times in the Old Testament, one time in the New Testament. It's often positive in its use, training and education, such as child training or, or even discipline to teach, to inform the mind, to educate, impart knowledge even to the destitute. Here in the New Testament principle, it's meaning to chasten or chastise. This is a big responsibility. And yet every one of us are given this in the the Great Commission. It's what we do if we're a believer. Each one of us should look at this and say, hey, how am I doing this? Lord, how am I doing? Let's read that great commission again in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples in all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We have the assurance that Christ is with us. But where to go and make disciples? The question becomes, how are we doing? What disciples do we have in our life? In making disciples, all these things we've been talking about, it requires all of these godly character traits. Our conduct must be above that of the world. In fact, in 1 Peter 3.15, it describes something similar. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give account for the hope that lies within, yet with gentleness and reverence. You know, not everyone will agree with you or agree with me, and yet we need to be respectful, gentle, kind, patient, and loving. See, that's what produces a a healthy dialogue where we can teach, we can instruct, yet also at the same time we need to remain teachable ourselves, filled with God's love. Well, look at verse 25 again. It says, if perhaps God may grant the repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, well, we need to be a reliable person Aid. we're We're part of that we're his right hand to come alongside. And this is very clearly tells us that God is one who will open the hearts of the wayward. The amazing thing is that we get to be a part of what God is doing. He's the one, the only one that can change hearts we're We're just a servant of the Lord, and we should attempt to deal with the opposition. Speaking to them in truth and humility and in loving kindness. We're to contend for the faith, but not be contending. We're not to be contentious, because that will do more damage. See, Paul concludes this message by emphasizing the work of the Lord's servant and dealing patiently with souls in the hope that God may grant them repentance and leading to the knowledge of the truth see in the new testament two main words are used for repentance one means to regret it has to do with a, a annoyance in the way we feel it's it's sin that's been exposed a wounded pride that's seen there may even be some kind of deep sign of remorse uh, may not be the godly sorrow that leads to repentance. When we think about this, this is really a picture of Judas after he betrayed Jesus. But the other word used in this case is, means to change the mind for the better. It results in a, a forsaking of the sin. It denotes a, a genuine repentance towards God. See, when the Holy Spirit is, is at work bringing the person to repentance, the acknowledging of the truth will naturally follow the Word translated acknowledging sim- signifies a precise and experiential knowledge. The repentant person will obtain a kind knowledge of the truth. See, repentance is necessary if a person's to recover themselves out of the, the snares of the devil. See, that's really the heart of God. In this case, repentance means to the giving up the teachings the doctrines that are contrary to the gospel, together with the, the corresponding, the change in their behavior. But well, look with me in verse 26. It says that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. He has a righteous anticipation and that's important to understand that in verse 26, it says he may come to their senses. That's, that's the heart. There's a, a recovery that they're hoping for. There's a repentance unto the knowledge of the truth. The word escape uh, translates the verb in, in the idea is to, to become sober again, to, to come out of, to one's senses. Like the story of the prodigal son, come to one's senses. The word escape translates a verb to appear only in the New Testament that means to become sober, to come to one's senses. It's kind of like the, the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. He, he takes his father's money, as inheritance, and runs and loses it all. And, and then when he comes to his senses, he comes home. And, and that's what the Father in heaven's longing for, to come to his senses. That's what you and I did when we returned to God. God made it evident in our hearts. We we knew there was a God when we were young, but we ran and did our own thing. 2 Corinthians 7, 9, 10 says this. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, So that you might not suffer a loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret. Leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. See when you and I just simply come in this godly character. Kind and tender. Merciful. We bring them the truth and love. We're not the one that brings them to the senses. It's the Holy Spirit that will do the work. When people are out of control, losing it, and and we're calm, they can't figure it out. The Holy Spirit uses that in their lives. Causes them to think about what they've heard, what they've seen. And it's all about seeing people come into the kingdom, to exalt the king, to know the one that you and I know. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for today, for your tender love and your mercies that are new every morning. Amazing thing that we can be used by you. We can be your right hand. That you grant us a favor and put us each in a, a different place. To bring glory to you. Lord, that's our desire. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.